0: Good morning, everyone. The uh, committee will, subcommittee will come to order. Uh, as chairman of this subcommittee, uh, with jurisdiction over amateur athletics, I welcome all of you to today's hearing. It's entitled, Name, Image, Likeness, the State of Intercollegiate Athletic Compensation. Good morning. It's Wednesday, February 12th. You're listening to the College Football Daily. My name is Trace Scott. We're about to run the podcast that Connor Tapp and I cut just a few hours ago, but right now it's 1 a.m. when I'm recording this, 1 a.m. Central Time, and Michigan State, according to Bruce Feldman of The Athletic, has hired Colorado head coach Mel Tucker to replace Mark D'Antonio. Interesting thing about this, Mel Tucker had already interviewed, had already been in the mix well before Luke Fickle, the frontrunner, said no, but Mel Tucker who went five and seven in his first year at Colorado, uh, tweeted on Saturday a a public rejection of Michigan State. He said, while I am flattered to be considered for the head coaching job, I am committed to Colorado. Uh, Hashtag unfinished business. Bruce Feldman reported that this move happened. It seems like Michigan State, with multiple candidates saying no, circled back to Mel Tucker probably with more money. Tucker, 48 years old. He actually got his coaching start in East Lansing a long time ago in the late nineties as a graduate assistant. And he graduated from Wisconsin. He's from Cleveland. So he, he knows the big 10 area having coached one year in the PAC 12 as a head coach. And then of course, as an sec assistant coach and coordinator, he was George's defensive coordinator and secondary coach for two years before his time at Colorado and was an assistant head coach in defensive backs for Alabama under Nick Saban in 2015. I think this is a great hire by Michigan State uh, once it's approved by the Board of Trustees uh, on Friday, I believe, because if they didn't get Mel Tucker or Matt Campbell or Luke Fickle or Pat Narduzzi, someone in their initial pool of candidates, it looked like it was going to be the Brett Bielema show or they were going to stick with, with their interim coach. So this is a great move for Michigan State. We'll see what happens going forward for them. We'll, we'll keep covering this on the College Football Daily, but wanted to get that emergency note in there. On to the normal podcast. Trey, unfortunately, today's
1: big college football news was that there was a Senate hearing about name, image, and likeness in college athletics, which means I am talking to you fresh off of Watching two and a half hours of Senate testimony about name, image, and likeness. So uh, if
0: I I we got to talk about it here, or else I've just done all that for nothing. You're the people's champ for watching all that for us and and kind of gathering all your notes. And I have a few questions because I follow college football for a living, I cover college football for a living. But some of this stuff can kind of go over my head, especially when you're mixing, Sports with politics and legislative branch and all that stuff. Yeah. So I'm going to start, Connor, by asking you, like, what what happened today? Yeah, so what we had today was five people, including
1: NCAA President Mark Emmert, representing a range of different categories of stakeholders in major college athletics. And, the, and they testified before the Senate Commerce Subcommittee on Manufacturing, Trade, and and Consumer Protection. It's a subcommittee of the Commerce Committee. Um, And they're testifying about the issue of collegiate student athletes profiting from their name, image, and likeness. In in addition to Mark Emmert, you had Big 12 Commissioner Bob Bowlsby, Kansas President Douglas Gerard, uh, Executive Director of the National College Players Association, Ramogi Huma, and current law student at Georgetown and former New Mexico track athlete, Kendall Spencer, and all combined, they kind of uh, represented the range of perspectives of people touched by this legislation. Probably, maybe you could argue some perspective here or there was missed, but uh, it was, in the end, it was a pretty robust and representative discussion throughout the day.
0: So we've never seen anything like this. And I would imagine the timeline, and correct me if I'm wrong, the timeline for the reason this is happening right now is due to what we've talked about before here on the College Football Daily with state after state sort of creating or, or adopting their own bill, I guess, uh, about our, our proposal for how to fix the NCAA or, or how to pay college athletes. Is that sort of why this is happening?
1: Yeah. So this was the first time the Senate has ever held hearings on this subject. And the and the reason why that's changed now is, as, as you say, there are several states have already passed name, image, and likeness laws, and several more states have uh, laws working their way through the legislative process. And, you know, all of them, uh, not all of the, you you know, you've got different states representing different regions of the countries and uh, different constituencies, and what you end up with is laws that look pretty different. So, it becomes a situation where you've got you know, 50 different states and you've got all the schools within those states com- competing for uh, student athletes as recruits and they're, they're all kind of playing by different rules. So it's a very logical spot for Congress exercising its authority to regulate the commerce uh, among the many states uh, to step in and provide some leadership here. And when uh, one of the members of the committee actually put two the people testifying like, hey, what is it exactly that you want from us? Really what they wanted, what they're asking for was to help them get a window, a window of time before these uh, state laws come into place to allow the NCAA to enact its own name, image, and likeness policy. They, The, the current timeline for when that's supposed to roll out is sometime in 2021, Right now, they're supposed to uh, kind of give a preview a a progress report of some of the ideas they've come up with. And they're supposed to publicize that sometime in April. But a lot of the senators on the committee kind of felt like, you know, that's not fast enough. Some of these laws are going into place sooner than 2021. So the NCAA kind of needs to pick up the pace here.
0: It's interesting that they don't think it's fast enough. In the last year, we've seen the NCAA kind of Go from this is not an issue, this is not something we need to address, we're going to stick our heads in the sand about it, to realizing that all these states independently are passing their own laws. The NCAA then realizes that, especially recruiting wise, this is going to be a major issue. So then they kind of, a few months ago, remember when they released their thing saying, Hey, we got something coming April or April uh, in 2021. And we're like, well, I don't know if that's if that's going to be fast enough. But it is funny how the NCAA has so quickly had to change directions here and then still be told that they're not changing directions quickly enough. What other big takeaways do you have from this, Connor, that we need to know about?
1: Yeah. So, I mean, on, on that note, like one thing that's really fascinating, it was so fascinating to see Mark Emmert, to see a conference commissioner and a school president totally seed the ground of yes, name, image, and likeness is happening. We're just here to try to figure out the best way to make it work. And the NCAA like public perception on them is so bad at this point that, um, that they have united Republicans and Democrats against them. Watching this, uh, watching this hearing, I, I, I wasn't. Personally familiar with uh, the backstory of every senator on the committee, so I didn't always know who was a Republican and who was a Democrat. And I was kind of looking it up as the hearing was going on. And uh, there were, as far as the words that were coming out of their mouth, their critiques of the NCAA and uh, their kind of lack of action on this issue, uh, they were they were indistinguishable from one another. And this was, you know, a deliberative body that just a week ago was at each other's throats in an almost part. line vote on impeachment. And so you've now got the NCAA kind of uniting both sides of the aisle together. And it was just uh, really fascinating. I I was also struck by kind of the humility with which many of the senators approached the enormity and complexity of this issue. Um, This issue intersects with so many other issues in college athletics, so the subcommittee chair was really making an effort to keep his members on topic, and he was mostly successful with the exception of Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn going out of her way to kind of dunk on Mark Emmert for the NCAA suspending Memphis basketball player James Wiseman. Uh, Mr. Emmert, uh, if there was a potential conflict of interest, why wasn't the university and the Wiseman Family informed earlier in the process. Uh, I'm not uh, um, Involved in the details enough of that particular case to be able to answer your specific question. You're the CEO and when there is um, a lack of transparency or subjectiveness the objectivity should come to you. I yield back my time. It was kind of, at at, at a period of time, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, you're maybe feeling a little bit disillusioned about uh, what's supposed to be the great deliberative body in in our country. And it seemed like a day where people were acting in good
0: faith to come together and try to solve like a really big problem. So some like anti-NCAA sentiment is going to save (laughs) this country. That's interesting. (laughs) That's, wow. Uh, It's always kind of funny when, the NCAA or something. I mean, we know the NCAA is this big old slow moving ship, but it is funny. You kind of, you said you're you, you were struck by the humility. I think it's sort of probably humbling for the NCAA to, to go into somebody else's home, go into the Senate and like, they're not the big kid on, you know, they're not the, they're not the scary bully anymore. Like they're sort of, they're sort of kind of yeah. beholden to the Senate. So
1: yeah, uh, yeah. I mean,
0: they're kind of just
1: there, kind of with their hat in their hand, asking, asking for a favor. To like, I don't, I don't know. As, as I said before, the, at one point, one of the senators said, "What is exactly that you want?" Um, it doesn't, and, and what they want is kind of a stay of execution on NLI, uh, but it doesn't really seem like they're going to get that. If if what that means is the uh, the Congress passing a law, it seems like they're just not really interesting And in passing a law. Several of the senators mentioned that what they see as being the path forward here is them uh, doing what they can to help the NCAA to figure out how to manage this issue on their own. You want to tell me where you're at in conversations about solutions? Because I, I'm going to tell you, be honest with you, you don't want us to solve this. You want us to help you solve this. So the question is, is Where are we at in talks? Where are we at as far as putting stuff on paper? It was kind of interesting to see what the NCAA viewed as their biggest concerns presented by name, image, and likeness. One of them was not especially surprising, I don't think, to you or I, and I think legitimately is a really big concern that... Uh, it's going to take a lot of thought and probably a lot of times coming back to the drawing board after you've already passed, passed some rules to kind of hone them and tweak them, is how does this affect cr-
0: recruiting? The intersection with r- the recruiting environment is the absolute epicenter of uh, this consideration. And uh, given the Uh, entrepreneurial nature of coaching staffs, uh, they will find uh, very effective ways of uh, having third party inducements to enroll and transfer a big part of the NIL uh, environment. And and it's that integrity that uh, I uh, worry about the decline of. How does this affect
1: situations where maybe the name, image, and likeness marketing deals being offered to a player becomes kind of a weapon in some recruiting battles or for some players who are already at a school uh, in, in, in a battle to get them to transfer to your school. And I, I, th- I think that's a legitimate concern that's going to take some really thoughtful and, and careful legislation. and I, I don't think anybody really had any answers today, other than to point out that it would be a concern, even kind of the people on the pro player side of things, uh, were wanted to make sure that the schools themselves were not officially getting involved in negotiating these marketing agreements because they could just become another vehicle for these arms races that we're seeing in coaching salaries in, 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 in building these lavish facilities. Um, so that's, a, that's a really interesting uh, problem that I, I don't know the solution to. I don't think the people there knew uh, at least today ha- had an answer for. Um, and an, and another piece of that was the NCAA being really worried about maintaining their the amateur status, which I, it was kind of a difficult argument to follow. I eventually got there, but basically what their perspective on it was that if the schools did become involved in, in negotiating these marketing agreements for the players, then at that point it would become in totally inarguable that they were employees rather than uh, than amateurs, and so they were just really adamant that that was a hard line that they wanted to maintain. And in many ways, they 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 might see name, image, and likeness as as uh, as a welcome opportunity to avoid having to categorize uh, players as employees, as we kind of saw the Northwestern players uh, union trying to kind of move to do that a couple of years ago.
0: Well, it's a lot, uh, <laughs> excited for April for this progress report that we're expected to have unless they heed, uh, the Senate's words and get something to us quicker than that. Also was, you know, maybe wondering if they would discuss, uh, EA sports NCAA football video game, but it did come <laughs> up in passing, but they did okay. not really, they did not really dive into it, uh, so much. It, well, yeah. I, I'm saving a week of PTO for whenever that day comes. So, so just a couple
1: of other issues that I wanted to mention about the issues people raised uh, in the in in the hearing that kind of made me perk up and think that was an interesting perspective I hadn't heard representative before uh, was uh, you did have some senators representing some more uh, rural states who were saying you know uh, maybe Nebraska. Uh, the Nebraska corn huskers might be disadvantaged relative to Georgia Tech when it comes to uh, name, image, and likeness because, you know, uh, Atlanta is much more of a big urban center, a lot more money in Atlanta. Uh, and therefore, maybe there are more marketing opportunities for the players to go to Georgia Tech, to go to Georgia, than there would be for someone in, say, Nebraska or Montana. Some other people have kind of pointed out. Uh, uh, kind of uh, contradictory to that example is that, hey, in Nebraska, the Huskers are the only show in town, so maybe that money is a little bit more concentrated, whereas in Atlanta, you've got, you know, the Falcons, the Hawks, the Braves, and, and all kinds of other stuff. Um, and another thing that was brought up was... a. a a concern, and I saw a lot of people debating this on Twitter, and, and uh, including John Solomon of the Aspen Institute and Nicole Auerbach of uh, The Athletic. There, there was this uh, thread of argument that there could be a Title IX issue here and a concern about non-Olympic sports losing out. And I, I, I tend to think that this is, I, I'm not totally convinced by this argument. Uh, the uh, The logic goes that if people are now funneling money directly to players in the form of name image and likeness contracts then maybe that is money that might have otherwise gone directly to the athletics department and might have been invested in in the volleyball program or the tennis program, and so and maybe in that way you get some uh, uh, disproportionate outcomes in terms of in terms of the different genders, in terms of the different sports. I I ultimately don't find that super convincing because I think that's it's not necessarily clear to me that that money still wouldn't like I, I don't know. Barton has Barton Simmons has pointed out before that you know like. <sighs> A five-star prospect is still, a five-star prospect in football is still like a relatively risky investment compared to a, 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 you know, football operations facility that will be there for at least like 50 years or something. So so maybe it's not super obviously the case that you're going to see all that money flow directly to the players instead. Uh, The other thing is like there's already this kind of massive imbalance uh, when it comes to uh, funding for Football compared to funding for the Olympic sports, so I don't. I Maybe you could argue that it will just exacerbate the problem, but I don't know. I'm. I, it's. I'm not super convinced.
0: Yeah, I. I you know, the the five star thing, or like the the investment in an athlete. Like, do we really think on the books colleges colleges are going to spend five hundred thousand dollars on like one player? Like, that's like a, a ridiculous right. waste of resources. So. You know, that that might be near not five hundred thousand, but you know, maybe half it. That might be near what something's, you know, what what kind of bag a primo prospect can get on the black market if they want one. But colleges are not like it would make so much more sense to to revamp the weight room. Especially, I mean, when you look at when you look at every signing day, we kind of look at what happened to the last few classes, what happened to the top ranked quarterbacks. We have today later to talk about like the number four player in the country. He's moving on from his second school in two years, so it's a it's a full full wise I, I think investment to make. I, I agree with you there.
1: Oh, Trey, that was a really lovely seating of our next topic. You did there.
0: That was pretty. That was pretty smooth. Yeah. Um, for every for every word I make up on the fly, I can <laughs> I can kind of I can kind of place a pretty good segue. Um, Someone can go listen to see if fool wise. I don't know what I was trying to say. <laughs> full full hearty area. But anyway, yeah. do I have the floor? Shall shall I take it? Yeah, go ahead. All, all right. you. All right. So that number four prospect, class of twenty eighteen, Yabia Noma was this like tantalizing raw outside linebacker who signed with Alabama out of Baltimore, Maryland. He entered the transfer portal twice when he was at Alabama. The second time he entered it, he left. And Nick Saban, and this was in July. Nick Saban clarified that he was dismissed from Alabama. Well, Iabi Anoma has been, now been dismissed from his second school in one year, two years. Uh, Houston, the Houston Cougars. He was sitting out this past season as a redshirt. He was prepared to make a pretty good impact for Dana Holgerson's team in 2020. He was dismissed. It was announced Tuesday. Ao.com's Matt Zenitz tweets that the same issues that plagued Anoma at Alabama tardiness, clashing with his teammates. Also followed him at Houston and let's just like tie this in. Let's look at the 2018 class real quick. And I think, you know, the 2018 class is, it might go down as one of the more famous ones of the last decade. And I, I, off the top of my head, it's, it's Trevor Lawrence. It's Justin Fields two two guys who will be numbers one and two in the 2021 NFL draft, Xavier Thomas at Clemson, good as a freshman, bus status as a sophomore. Let's see what he's got as a junior Ayabi Nome at four, Micah Parsons at five. The Penn State linebacker is going to be a monster this season. One of the best two defenders in college football, him and Derek Stingley. So, but like you keep looking down that list, and you've got Justin Shorter from Penn State at eight. He's already at Florida. You've got like you, you've, you've got guys who are panning out, and you've got guys who are, you know, you got Cade Mays at 22, great at Georgia, already transferred to Tennessee, Brenton Cox at 23. Went to Georgia, already transferred to Florida. Lorenzo Lingard at 25, signed with Miami, already at Florida. Ricky Slade at 27, signed with Penn State, entered the transfer portal this week. So as we talk about, you know, name, image, likeness, and we talk about colleges wanting to pay players, like I hope they're smart with this because I'm not saying like recruiting – I, I believe that recruiting rankings are, are strong, and, and I don't think it's an inexact science or anything like that. But Yabi and proved again today; like there is no sure thing,
1: right? And it, and it, and it maybe kind of emphasizes that there really is only this elite crop of players who will truly make like a meaningful income off of off off of name, image, and likeness. Because Trey, you and I know like. College football is like a pretty niche sport in the grand scheme of things. Like you put it up against the NFL, like pretty much nobody like casual sports fans do not know college football players outside of the biggest of the big stars, the, you know, returning juniors who had incredible sophomore seasons. It's the reason like a lot of half the time when you're watching ESPN and they're doing promos for the upcoming game, it's a picture of the two head coaches because that's that's who a national audience knows.
0: Yeah, no, that's a great point. And I think when you look at the recruits, the five-star guys, the ones who you would consider to demand the most money, maybe if it was ever legalized to pay pay recruits or who would demand the most, hey, we're going to promise you this dealership opportunity or endorsement opportunity with this car dealership. Like you look at, like, let's just like randomly pick a guy. All right number 18 in the 2018 class, Adam Anderson, five-star kid, signs with Georgia, from Rome, Georgia, powerhouse high school. He hasn't really done anything in Athens yet. Like, his stock has depreciated since he got onto campus. Like, there are only a few sure things in each recruiting class, and then in 2020, there were probably three sure things, Bryce Young, DJ Uyonga and Brian Brzee. Everybody else, like, we don't really know, and you make a great point about college football too, Connor. It's like, there's like on one hand you can count the number of household and i mean truly household names in college football and the rest is coaches so we scoff at the coaches who make nine million dollars a year and ask where the money is for the players and that's true i mean the players need to have money but to think that they're going to be worth and i mean all of them are going to be worth are all 32 five stars are going to be worth millions of dollars i think that's that's kind of silly
1: Yeah, totally agree. Uh, That is going to do it for today's episode of the College Football Daily. If you appreciate what we're doing, please express your support by leaving us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. For Trey Scott and our producer, Tani Levitt, I'm Connor Tapp, and we'll see you on Thursday for the next edition of the College Football Daily.